We're back on What the Funk. This is the second podcast I'm recording on my birthday. It's my birthday. I'll podcast if I want to. I guess that's the motto for the day. But truly, I really did intentionally schedule this and the one before this to happen on my birthday because I like podcasting. And it actually gives me a chance to talk to people, to listen, to break away from the typical monotony of the nine to five, whatever you want to call it. So I've been looking forward to this one. I did push you off, Courtney, the last time. Thank you for being flexible. Um, but honored that this is your first podcast that you're coming on and doing. That's I'm surprised, but I'm also excited. So, Oh, thank you, man. And happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. And apparently we are the same age. We don't need to reveal what that age is, but we are the same age. People can figure that out pretty fast, but um, pretty cool. So I've got a fellow Gen Xer. Yeah, absolutely. Cusp I mean, I, of being a millennial. I, on the, we're on the cusp. I, I try and convince people that I'm older than I am because I, for my birthday every year, I like to do discounts for QED clients. And if it's not a round number, it doesn't sound good, you know? Yeah. So for like three years, I offered 40% off for my 40th birthday. <laughs> buddy on my team was like, you're not there yet. You know? That's but, funny. Yeah, yeah. I like to do a round number to celebrate that. <laughs> Love it. Well, Courtney Stevens is the voice that you hear on the the other line. She is the CEO founder. Um, uh, president extraordinaire at QED and associates. QED actually hit my radar a long time ago through, through Tim Loser, uh, rest in peace. Uh, Tim was always a big fan of QED. This goes back to the energy navigator days. And um, I'll let you kind of get into what QED is and does a little bit later into the podcast. But Courtney, I want to know, who are you? Who is Courtney Stevens? Well, I've listened to your podcasts and I've heard this question before. So I made us like a 30 second summary about my identity. Um, I'm a mother. I'm an only child. I'm mm. the mother of an only child. I'm the mother of an only grandchild. Mm. I have a small and very tight knit family. Um, and that's probably the you know main core of my identity. I'm a dog mom. I've got three lovely rescue pups at my house and one cat from the international cat distribution system. I'm a mathematician. I'm a straight shooter. I'm a horrible salesperson. <laughs> um, I'm a traveler. I'm an extrovert. I, my parents would say I've never met a stranger. Um, I'm a wife. I'm a daughter-in-law. I'm a CEO and founder of QED, but I'm also a working reservoir engineering technician. I am 24 seven tech support for the QEDers at large and I'm a friend and I'm your biggest fan. Yeah, that's awesome. There's just way too much for me to try to dig into there. I'm not <laughs> even sure where to start, but I do want to start with, you know, even certainly before you had grandchildren, children. Um, but when you were a child yourself, uh, did you grow up in Texas? Did you go to school in, in Texas? And, and then take me a little bit through your, your kind of career path. Sure. So I was born in Marshall, Texas. Uh, I, so I'm an East Texas girl, uh, okay. right out of the Arklatex. I graduated from Marshall High School, and I got a full scholarship to go to Centenary College of Louisiana, where I majored in math. Um, loved every minute of it. Centenary requires every person uh, at Centenary to do an intercultural exchange. I did mine at Oxford University, St. John's College, and that's where I met my husband. Um, nice. He's British. You marry a Texan, you move to Texas. Um, and... We kind of, we went to Tulane. We both got fellowships to do PhDs, um, mine in theoretical mathematics. And I just didn't like the, I didn't like anything about it, Jeremy. I, my heart wasn't in it. I, I really gave it a shot, but I just, I wasn't meant to be a PhD in math or a college professor. I got an offer to go to work for Netherlands Sewell and Associates and I mm. took it same day. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah. And so we, I don't know. We kind of packed up and moved to Houston in a weekend. Our wedding, I think I interviewed on a Tuesday. Our wedding was on a Saturday. I went on our, we went on like a four night honeymoon. Uh, and then I, I showed up at work on Monday morning and I mean, it was, my husband didn't actually have work status in the U S at the time. So for the first couple of years, uh, while we were processing that, it was a single income household. He stayed at home and took care of our Chihuahua money penny. Who's also a rescue dog. And I, Worked at Netherlands Sewell and Associates. Um, I learned so much there. What a great training program they have for people yeah. that are going to do reserve reports. Um, 
but I think I messed up a ton on soft skills and how to be a professional. I had never had relationships with people other than professors. And so I really messed up just every single day. Uh, so I don't know if they liked me very much. Uh, I, well, think they did. I think so, they did. <laughs> so what, what do you mean? Like you feel like you were a hammer, so everything just looks like a nail or you weren't a great listener. Like I, I want to dive into this a little bit. What, cause, cause I haven't experienced that with you. I actually find you to be like very warm and, and welcoming and, and accommodating. Maybe those are skills that you've honed in on over time, but like, talk to me a little about what, what you think you lacked. Uh, oh, at that time. Yeah. Sure. Well, I wasn't, an, I don't think I was a team player. I think I, I think I didn't understand that. I think I didn't understand dynamics and interactions within a professional office. And that was due to lack of experience, kind of going down this track where I was going to go to grad school. All of my yeah. summers as an undergrad were spent doing research projects. I'd never been in an office. My jobs throughout high school and college were like tutoring or kind of academic focused. I just didn't know how to be a professional. I encourage young professionals to get those early professional experiences. QED offers a one week externship for high school and college students every summer. And it's Hmm. just a chance to kind of get some small exposure to the corporate environment and expectations uh, so that you're not shocked when you get there. I guess, you know, I'll give you an example of something that was just silly that I did early on. Probably my first couple of months at Netherlands Soul, uh, three or four banker's boxes hit my desk. And I was told to go stand in the kitchen and make copies of these, you know, three boxes worth of files. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I stood at the copy machine for probably 48 hours, just taking papers out, you know, taking the staples out, putting them in the copy machine, statement, making new file folders, filing it all. And I thought... I am a theoretical mathematician. What am right. I, you know, standing here making these copies. And that's just such the wrong attitude to have. And they must have felt that, you know, years later, probably one of my most critical, when I left Netherlands, I went to Watcherson Company and I thought, I'm just going to do it different. Watcherson Company, a boutique investment bank, had very high standards of professionalism. And I knew when I was interacting with the people at Netherlands Soul, that I had not exceeded their expectations in terms of being a team player, being willing to do whatever it takes. I knew I hadn't, I hadn't hit it out of the park. And I thought, when I go to Watrous, I'm going to hit it out of the park. I'm going to be friendly with everybody. I'm going to be accommodating. I'm going to be respectful. When I went into the interview, the receptionist was uh, putting together stuff for a conference they were hosting. And she was actually mm-hmm. wrapping presents. And I saw her in the conference room with wrapping paper and tape and overwhelmed with the number of boxes she had to wrap. And so I walked in there and I said, hey, can I, can I help you out with that? And she handed me the wrapping paper and the scissors and the tape and she walked out. And so I just, man, I got to work. I just started wrapping presents. And, you know, sooner or later, the guys that had come down from Calvary to interview me came in and where's, where's the lady that we're supposed to interview? <laughs> He's in there wrapping presents. Don Cordier was my supervisor there. And if you know him, he was uh, just a, he is a fabulous businessman. When he retired at his retirement party, he said, you know why we gave you that job? And I was like, because of my research and semi-transitive graph theory. <laughs> you know, and he was like, no, it's because you were in there wrapping presents. We knew you would do you know, whatever it takes. And those, yeah, those are the types of things, you know, that I learned. Those are the mistakes I made. Uh, and then I, thank goodness, had the opportunity to kind of reinvent myself and try and be an exceptional professional going, going forward after that experience. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. I think that reflection is important and it actually makes some sense because it does seem like you like to, to mentor, coach, hire, train, uh, develop younger professionals, which is something I've kind of always appreciated about what you do and something that, that I want to do more of, I feel like as I get deeper into my career, because if I think back to my path, like I'm a country kid myself. Yeah. Granted I'm from new England, but there's plenty of country out there too. I was from the middle of nowhere and, um, very blue collar and my parents were teachers I didn't have any exposure to the business world, like until my first few interviews, I guess, when I was 22, 23 years old, 
you kind of have to learn how to be a professional. And I really would have benefited from just almost some like high level professional coaching. Like my, my friends who went to law school or business school, they, they like paid and they got professional training. And at the time that they came out and had jobs, they kind of were professionals. They had paralegal jobs or they had internships or they worked at somebody's business and they understood how to do it. Me, I'd waited tables. I bartended. Um, you know, I kind of worked Those some odd skills. jobs. Those are good skills. Really right? good skills. And it helps with sales, I think too, because you, especially just the math of like, okay, well, if I make 20% tips and I do $1,800 in sales, I make $360 and then I tip out 3%, right? So you get quick with, with good math, <laughs> math, but you also kind of start to think about like, okay, people skills, right? Oh, and and how do I hires. talk to people? Yeah. My best hires are bartenders and servers. I mean, absolutely. And especially like for me, I was like, I was done. I, I, I sort of had that mindset. You did a little bit too. Like I went to Brandeis. Brandeis is a really good school. It was, it was hard. I finished in four years. Like I'm accomplished. And here I am waiting tables and bartending and taking out the trash and cleaning up people's puke at the bar and, and all these sorts of things. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. So it, it was not the right mindset to have, but it benefited my early employers because I was like, if you hire me to do this job, like I'm dying to have a boring office job and <laughs> I will work extra hours. And my first job at Left Hand Networks in Boulder, so many of the senior executives will come up to me and they're like, dude, we, we hear that you're the, you're the hammer. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you're always on the phone. Like you're always working. I'm like, well, always that's, yeah. that's the job though. Right. <laughs> like uh, I come in at seven and I leave at 4.30, I take a 30-minute lunch, um, and I make 85 phone calls a day, and I set up like two meetings. That's what you told me to do. And they're like, yeah, but like, that's not what people really do. Oh, so you actually, you know, you met the expectations. I would say that's rare. I mean, you know, so for a, for a living, what I do, I mean, my main line of business is going out recruiting young people um, that either just graduated from college or for whatever reason, didn't go to college, but are looking for a start, you know, as a professional. And I would say teaching people to show up is actually pretty hard. You know, I, mm. I, I train a lot of people and um, if somebody comes in with that desire, like I want to work, I want the job, they're always successful. I only have about a 50% success rate and I put, I spend my own money to train these people in my training room and I put about 12 people in there each quarter. Mm. And historically I have only ever had 50% make. So only half make it to the end of our training program and can be successfully placed. And the truncation, man, a lot of it is not showing up. You know, maybe it's because I I learned early on at QED that I couldn't make exceptional professionals unless they had the drive and the willingness yeah. to do it. But if somebody came in with your attitude, that is my dream. Somebody comes in willing to work, wanting to have a successful career. Man, that's that's easy for me to work with. Yeah, as my thank you for sharing that. As my good friend and sales trainer Justin Bucci has said numerous times, if you have the will. I'll teach you the skill, but the will is not something that I can, can teach you. You have to have that. Right. Um, so yeah. I always think about that with, with my own hires too. And even on the recruiting that we do for other companies, that's the first thing you look for. And, and you see it a little bit more, I think later on in people's careers, but when you're younger and the world is truly your oyster, like you kind of have this vision of what a magical, perfect career path is going to be. I think you and I both know that's just not realistic. Yeah. Well, and it's not that somebody that messes it up can't turn it around. I mean, I messed it up. I, I feel like, um, I mean, if you called these guys at Netherlands School, I think they'd say I was very accurate. I think they would say, you know, I did good work in, on the reserve reports. But what they wouldn't say um, is that I was their favorite person that ever worked for them. <laughs> uh, and so, I, yeah, I think um, I, I'm glad I got to mess it up when the stakes weren't too high. And for the QEDers that train here, man, they mess it up all the time. And I'm so glad for them to mess it up here with me when they're in training so that it doesn't have a long-term impact on their career once we get them out in uh, place exactly. in industry. Yeah. Make your mistakes with me mm -hmm. now so that Absolutely. when we put you in industry, you're, you're good. So, so take me a little bit more through the evolution. You were sort of like 
you were a pretty young entrepreneur. Like, wait, oh, you, yeah. how old were you when you decided to launch QED and what was your impetus for doing it? 30. Yeah. So 30. I, 30. Yeah. Um, I mean, I worked at, you know, I told you I started at Netherlands school. I worked at uh Watchers and company and just loved it. Loved it. Best years of my life. Mm. Learned about every basin, got to work with all kinds of wonderful people such a great experience. The only reason I left Jeremy was I was ready to slow down and have a baby. And I really, that was a part of my life that I wanted. And, um, so I made one call to my favorite client, uh, marathon oil company, Douglas Brooks, and he had an offer on my desk same day nice. uh, to go over and work at marathon. And that was a great place, you know, to go through the whole process of, you know, trying to have a baby and having a baby. I thought when I, when Nathan was born and Nathan was born about two months early, um, it was, you know, it was in the NICU for a while. And I thought, well, I'm going to be a stay at home mom. You know, my mom was a stay at home mom and my husband's a chemical engineer and I can be a stay at home mom. We saved up a lot of money before we were ready to have him. And I just thought, I just thought I'll stay home and I'll raise him. And after 16 months, I was going nuts. I was a crazy stay-at-home mom. And I came to this realization that maybe I would be a better mother if I was not at home all the time. So I called Mm. Andy Torrens. I called everybody I knew because this was 2008. And you might remember 2008. It wasn't a good time. It started Uh, off good. Certainly didn't finish up good. I'll tell you that. That's right. So I had called around and asked everybody I knew if they needed some contract reservoir engineering technician help. And the only person that everybody said no. And then Andy Torrens called me back and said, you can come over here to Lantana. You can help us sort out some data analysis. David, Nini, and I are going to be doing some big things. And Andy taught me, I went in and worked for him kind of two or three days a week, which was perfect. Uh, It meant I could get out of the house and I could get back into the technical world. He taught me HPDI at the time, which ultimately became Drilling Info. Drilling Info. He ta- I was kind of an Aries person before that. He taught me PhD win, which I love. Um, he he gave me some really good theory behind reservoir engineering that as a tech, I didn't have exposure to. Yeah. And he encouraged me to go ahead and get it started. I said, you know, people, recruiters, before I had Nathan, recruiters would like call and say, we got this opportunity. It's in such and such. And it was just such huge money, Jeremy. It was such yeah. huge money for reservoir engineering techs. And I thought, if I could make a duplicate copy of myself, you know, this would be like a license to print money. And I had talked about, you know, to other people about what if I made a firm where I went and I found really smart people that were good at basic math and logic. And I just trained them to do what I do. Everybody that I knew said, no, that's a horrible idea (laughs) or except for Andy Torrens. And he was like, I think you should do it. And I, um, I just did it, man. I don't think that I did it because I thought it would be successful. And I, I don't think I just knew that I could. So I did. And it's been you know, the greatest ride of my life. It's been crazy. I've gotten to help kind of 200 or so people start their lives and start successful careers in oil and gas. And then I'm still a working reservoir engineering technician. So I still get to do consulting projects and work for all kinds of firms. Um, So, and I get to meet great people like you. I mean, I just, I love the industry and I, I love what I do and and because of the type of work that you have, it allows you to be really well connected. You're, you're sort of always keeping on top of trends. You're working with various different operators, different software companies. Tell me a little bit more about um, the types of people that you invite in to, to do the training. Are these people who went to you know traditional oil and gas schools with reservoir engineering degrees? Um, is that a requirement? Or is it just somebody who you think could do the job? Like, how do you, and how do you source those people as well? Sure. Well, our best candidate is uh, somebody that is graduated from college, but is sleeping on their parents' couch and doesn't have a plan in life. Our best candidate is directionless. Our best candidate is somebody that got a degree in history or urban planning or sociology or anthropology or something 
that, you know, they loved and they had a passion about, but they don't have that career, I can give them the direction. And so they're usually uh, those types of people that are like, man, I just, I haven't found my calling in life. That's, that's the thing, Jeremy. So that's who we're always looking for. People with technical backgrounds tend, sometimes they do okay at QED, sometimes they don't. If somebody has a very clear idea of what they want to do with their life, for example, I want to be a reservoir engineer. It's rare that I can help those people through the QED process. I'm not saying I, I haven't done it because I have taken people out of um, petroleum engineering programs at, you know, kind of the big universities. It's really takes a special person like that to be willing to learn my job, which is, you know, assistant to the reservoir engineer. Right. And, and so if I find that person, yes, I mean, Franklin Stagg came through in 2016, first QED or ever to start as a technician and ultimately achieve professional engineering credentials. But we've done a, a number of um, tech to engineer kind of people. It's just not the standard. The standard is I'm going through the grocery store at HEB. I'm, I'm, you know, getting five different kinds of cheese because I'm kind of bougie. And the check goes, this one, I don't think this tag is right. I think that this one is a different price per, and I just see it in the guy's eyes. I just huh. see that he has great customer service. He has great attention to detail. He has, you know, he's a great communicator. And I go, what's, do you, here's my card. Call me Monday. And nice. now, now Jacob Dale is, um, he works at Paloma Natural Resources and he has a, he just had a baby. Daphne just got married. Um, and you know, he has a wonderful life and I, and I found him at HEB, you know, and I, I feel like that's the dream. Like I always wanted that to happen to me at when I was bartending <laughs> or waiting tables. Sure. Like, oh yeah. Not only is this guy going to give me like a hundred percent tip on this, he's going to like leave his number on the back and say, Hey, I've got a job for you starting on Monday. It never happened, but I did see it happen for other people. And it just came down to like that being authentic and personable and, and Mm -hmm. uh, showing your true intelligence and spirit shine through. Oh man. I, we, we have so many stories like that. Um, Joe Holson, who's a contract um, reservoir engineer. I mean, he has, I, I don't actually know what Joe's doing right this moment. Joe's kind of a hot commodity. He might not be a contract reservoir engineer right now. He is a great reservoir engineer and he is, has a great eye for talent. So at NAPE, he is this Uber driver. Uber driver went to university of Houston, got a nice. degree in economics, but didn't know what he wanted to do. And then, then, and then Joe calls me the next day. He was like, man, he was really good. I was like, Joe, that's the guy. I need that guy. He reported his phone being lost when his phone was actually not lost. He gets in touch with the kid. The kid comes over. We have an eighth grade math test, Jeremy. For me, if you can pass my eighth grade math test with a high degree of accuracy, you've got the detail, you've got the basic math skills I need to get it done. Put him in the class, finished in March, got a temp to perm assignment at Cord Energy. Now he's a full employee of Cord Energy. His name's Tim Williams, and he's uh, living the dream, you know, and that's what I do every day. Well, Cord's, Cord's doing extremely well. I mean, they've done a lot of consolidation. They're one of the larger players in, in the Bakken. So that's a good place to be. So, so walk me through then the process a little bit. So you get people into your program mm-hmm. uh, and you, you effectively get them trained up to be reservoir engineering techs. Mm-hmm. And then you, then what happens? You have contacts at different operators and software companies where you actually place these people. Like what, what does that process then look like once they're trained up? Sure. So once they finish training, they go through a lot of testing. So they take a test every two or three days while they're here training. Oh, wow. It's kind of a final, yeah, they got to make a 90% or higher to stay in. That might be why I have a 50% truncation. <laughs> Too many but, tests. But this job is, this job is, you, you got to have that high degree of accuracy to be okay in this job. And so there's a final presentation. You're welcome to come and watch the next round's final presentations uh, where they give a base and study a company overview. And then they showcase some of their reserves and economics work and various software platforms. Um, and then we put them on our consulting team. Uh, we do on-demand consulting. So people call us all the time and say, Hey, I need a couple of runs, you know, at this price deck, or I need a database converted. And we do that as needed. They get that experience working under the wings of the pros at QED. Um, they get the real world experience while they're working on our consulting team, but ultimately we want every single one of them to get placed in industry. And so 
our clients, uh, we have a sales team that goes out and works with our clients to make sure that we get the right fit for the yeah. right person when a, when a place is open. We're only doing these, you know, straight out of QED people. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a headhunter. If you said, hey, I need a super tech with 15 years of experience, right. you know, that that's not what I'm selling. What I do have is somebody that has a great attitude, a great understanding of reserves and economics, you know, that they, they're hungry. They're going to show up. You're going to say jump. They're going to say how high. I've made sure of it. And uh, we offer nonstop additional technical support, career guidance and mentorship for forever after their place. So, you know, we're, we're constantly in touch with the QEDers at large, either saying this is how we're going to this is the best way to model um you know, the interpolated ratios by these lateral links in Aries or, yeah, you know, that's a great job offer, but you should consider, you know, all these other things currently. I mean, you know, we're providing kind of, I mean, just exactly what I would have wanted when I was their age. So yeah. a little bit of career guidance, a little bit of mentorship, a lot of technical support. Because ultimately the real goal is that they all keep their jobs and they're successful. If they lose their job, they're welcome to come back to QED at any time. Um, and so, you know, I, I need to keep them doing their best. That's, it's a really cool model and it's creative, um, a little bit outside the box, I think. Right. You, but you know, then, you know, like you you become the authority within reason on, all right, who, who are, who do I need, right? What's the cultural fit? And then what is the technical fit? And then you can plug those holes. Like, I, I like that. It's, it's basically, you're sort of like taking the role of like an eagle, right? And you see everything, right? And you've got these birds, right? And you want to grow these birds and you want to tell them to go here, to go there. And then the benefit I would think for you is, well, they're not going to stay engineer. Not all of them are going to stay engineering techs their whole career. Some of these people are going to have the career traje- trajectory where they become a VP of engineering or something like that. And then they're coming to you saying, who do I hire? Because yep. I'm a graduate of that program. It's kind of cool. Well, I would hope so. I mean, actually, though, we did have somebody last year make a $917,000 bonus. And his title is still Reservoir Engineering Technician. So I would say, yes, yeah, some of them go on to get, you know, various titles or whatever. Um, I, and I don't mean to say or whatever. Some have, have really launched outstanding careers. I just saw John Chaplin posted that he's going to be at that climate conference in Dubai next week speaking. He's a qed from oh, the cop. 2013. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, lots of people have, have gone on to become um, incredible things, uh, incredible titles. Those, those of us that have stayed with the title of Reservoir Engineering Tech, um, I mean, our highest ever, our highest ever earning qed is his title still Reservoir Engineering Technician. I would like a $917,000 bonus next year as well. That would be sweet. Um, I think a lot of people would. It made my whole life worthwhile. Absolutely. I just got that call. I was like, he said he was so shaken. He didn't know if he had to go back to the office, but he was like, I don't think I can work today. And I was like, I understand that. Um, I said, do you think I should pay off my Jeep and maybe my student loans? I was like, yes. (laughs) <laughs> You'll still have some left over, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless your Jeep is the the a custom one off. No, you know? no. Oh, that, I love to hear that. It makes me happy. Um, and and of course you take joy in that. I mean, it's the same thing. Like when when my sales guys, you know, close a deal and they get a a commission bonus, I say, hey, your check's going to look a bit, little bit different. And then they're like, nice, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, especially yeah. when they're younger. Right. Cause I remember what it was like the first few times I got, I got commission checks. That was so sweet. Um, I wish, I wish I had your knack for that. You know, I'm, I'm really, I really am a horrible salesperson. I uh, don't think so. <laughs> but you're, I mean, you're a legend and you've trained some legends. Um, Thank I, you. Tend to, I tend to give it all away, man. My salespeople, they don't want me in any meetings. Cause I'm like, yeah, we'll do that for free. And then they give me the eyes like, stop this. <laughs> you're like, no, no. Now you're affecting my commission. <laughs> I do. That's right. Well, I mean, I think it's important that you, that you know what your strengths and weaknesses are. I think self-awareness is a, a strength of yours. Um, and, and you know, I'm, I, I think it's fascinating the business that you've created. Do you have like a competitor does anybody else do what you do? I mean, success breeds competition. So I would think, 
I would think people would make a go at it. I, I don't think anybody does it the way that I do it. There's certainly great contract reservoir engineering techs sure. out there. There's, you know, I offer kind of Aries and PhD win. I, I offer some great uh, soft skill training, some great theory of reserves and economics training. There's other trainers out there, you know? Um, so there's, I don't think anybody kind of does it exactly like I do. Um, but, sh- you know, surely maybe one day somebody will try. Well, it's been like almost 15 years or something. Um, So maybe not. I I think it's because it requires pretty thick skin and, and running your own business as, as I've learned over the last three years has, has many ups and downs. And I think you start to become hardened to the both ways, like the downs still suck and the ups are still nice. They just don't last quite as long that your dopamine tends to stay a little bit more in check um, versus early on, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And then, oh no, I just lost this client. But now you're like, well, that's just going to happen and it's still going to suck, but you, you see it and, and there's a, a longer path there for you. Yeah. I think in 2018, I had a couple of reservoir engineer, a couple of petroleum engineering grads in the class that are now reservoir engineers. And one of them said, you know, what, how do you feel the oil and gas industry is going to be in five to 10 years. And I said, well, I think it's going to be great. You know, I think uh, I've just, cause we had just been through a downturn. If you think about it, 2018, we had just been through the 2014, 2015 shenanigans. Yeah, 2016 I, sucked. I sold all of our hourly consulting services in 2016 for the price of a barrel of oil. Wow. And can you imagine? Yeah, my sales people were mad that day that oil got down to like 26. We were upside down yeah, on all the did. consulting we were doing. And um, it was a hard time. So in 2018, when he asks this question, I say, no, I think it's going to be great. You know, I think it, it's going to be a great, strong commodity price environment. Here we go. You know, I think I underestimated how much outside factors, meaning things outside of our industry, could impact things within our industry. Um, there are going to be ups and downs. Um, perseverance is required to get through um, the ups and the downs of the oil and gas industry. Which which leads me to a logical question, which is around the COVID times, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming that most of your kind of training uh, sessions and classes are in, in person. They are, yeah. So what? It, so did you have to pivot like really quickly and then deal with this negative low price environment? How did you survive yeah. 2020? It was rough. And I would say 2022 actually ended up financially being the worst year for us on the record. Hmm. Um, so I, I had always hedged QED as follows. I thought if commodity prices are strong, we'll train people and we'll place them. And right. so I, I don't charge people a fee when they're training with me. I charge the hiring companies a fee to hire them. Totally. So, I, you know, when prices are strong, people are going to get hired. And I thought when prices are, you know, low, um, headcounts are going to be constrained and people will come to us and pay a premium just to get done what they have to get done. Yeah. So then we'll your head just you're consulting to the full time right. people. Yeah. So we swung pretty heavy to consulting for 2020, 2021. And I mean, we pulled it out, Jeremy, but it was, it was difficult because the hours that we worked through that time seem insane. I think I went about six weeks without even saying goodnight to my son because I was so chained to my desk, but we did it. And we did it because we wanted to protect the QED years that were under our wings. Um, Everybody did it, you know, the level fives to the level nines, everybody just worked really hard on hard consulting projects. There was uh, a super major came in and asked for 312 database conversions. Wow. Um, and we just said, yes, you know, we just, we just did it. Uh, and I was glad to have the business. Um, the problem was the transition back. So for us to swing from training and placing to consulting is no big deal, right? We just take everybody we've got, we do promotions on consulting you know, up the sales effort on consulting. And we just consult, consult, consult. The problem was swinging back to in-person training and placements because our recruiters weren't able to go out and do what they need to do to get people in. Where do we find the HEB checker? You know, if you're not yeah. going out and meeting people, we're not, we're not getting kind of that 
natural progression into our training room. So I'll tell you what I did, man. I got an eye for talent. And I saw my son's speech and debate coach interact. <laughs> she was phenomenal. I was like, this lady needs to work for me. Um, she, without me interacting, without me interfering, because I don't want Tomball ISD to be mad at me. Without interfering, she resigned her teaching position and said she just wanted to try something new. And I said, well, why don't you try this? And I'll tell you what, she has filled that training room. Wow. Quality candidates every quarter since she's been here. And I mean, we've now got a wait list for people to get into the training room. So I'm very, I'm very happy with, I'm very happy with her performance. Uh, And she actually, she has a dream to be like you, Jeremy. She has a dream to move into technical sales. And so we're going to expand her into that in 2024. Well, certainly if there's anything I can do to offer guidance or help in any way, shape or form, I'm willing to do that. I'd actually like to sit in on one of your, whether it's presentations or training courses, just to to understand a little bit more about what it looks like. Because conceptually, it makes sense. And I get what it would look like when you're teaching people how to import a data set and run a series of decline curves and create a type well and all those things. But it seems like there's a lot more than that, right? That's the technical piece, but you're also trying to breed professionals Mm -hmm. and um, get people to actually do like real projects and not just hypothetical stuff. Sure. Well, and I mean, I did it right. Like I was trained at Netherlands school and then I was, and then I was a trainer when I was at Watrous. I I trained the new technicians and then at marathon, they asked me to design their technician training curriculum uh, with some very nice management consultants that they had hired. And so I, I did actually have kind of multiple practice runs putting together training curriculum and doing it wrong, if you will. So sure. when it was time for me to write my own, I thought I, I did have all of the evidence to say what works and what doesn't. And so our training right now is very intentional. Every piece of it's intentional. It's in mm-hmm. just the right order over just the right time frame with just the right pitfalls and just the right mistakes so that when we get to the end, they, they're ready for real projects. But yeah, you're welcome over here anytime. So the best time to come is final presentation day, because if right. you came and watch around, you'll see, you know, you'll know where they started and then you'll see where they've come through the training program with the work that they present. You're always welcome here. Um, and you're based in Houston. Are most of your clients and people in Houston or have you taken on some Denver and Calgary and Oklahoma and, and other folks? Years ago, we actually opened a Denver office, um, but I had to close it. And that might be a story for another time. But it's real hard to manage employees in various cities, I find. Um, I probably could do it now that I have a really good developed team that I trust and I'm willing to depend on. I might have just gone at it too early with a Denver office. That being said, our clients range, you know, from cities big and small. We do a lot of work in Pittsburgh, Oklahoma City. Um, Midland, uh, Shreveport, Tyler, um, Denver, uh, Houston, San Antonio. Um, and so I, I, we actually never made a placement in Bakersfield. Oh, I, do have, wow. I do have friends out in Bakersfield. Uh, we have some clients out there, but I've never placed a QED or out there. I feel like Bakersfield's compelling. Um, I like, like it. I like it. I also love Midland. Um, Aaron and I, my lead trainer and I go out there to do a lot of training at our clients' offices. And I have a good time every time I go to Midland. We have a fabulous experience. I personally really like the weather and the climate. Uh, and I just, I don't know, I got a heart for a small town. When I was in Midland last last time, I went into Starbucks and I got my usual, you know, couple of drinks because I'm, I'm kind of a caffeine addict. And I get Aaron's and I get Frankie's and I get a couple more. And I'm walking out of the Starbucks with like seven drinks. And, um, a gentleman offered to carry them to my car. Nice. And I was like, I growing, this is, this is that Marshall, Texas feel. It was on the other side of the state, but it was, it felt just like home. I like that. And I actually do like the, the weather in Midland more than Houston. Part of it's just the dry heat. I can deal yeah. with the, with the heat. We get some of that here. Houston, that stickiness is tough. Um, even Houston people this summer were complaining about how hot it was. That's when you know it's hot. You're not going to hear me complain about it. I am like an evangelical Houstonian. I, I love Houston, but I, I'm not going to complain about the weather. I love the heat. 
oh, I can't stand the cold. I told you my husband's British and I just, man, I'm trying to wiggle out of going for Christmas right now. I don't like the cold. Yeah. My wife's trying to drag us to go to Boston and New Hampshire around, around Christmas. And I'm like, Ugh, it's already too cold, but you know, I, I, I'm used to it. That's where I grew up. So it would be good to see family. Um, you know, I, I've asked some questions and, uh, you know, a few more that I kind of want to dive into. Are there any stories that stand out to you about where you really embarrassed yourself or you feel like somebody embarrassed themselves in a meeting that stands out to you? And I've used this example. I even said it earlier today. The one time I gave a presentation at a, at a major in Houston and I was standing up and presenting. It was passionate. And I sat down and my butt hit the front of the chair and the chair flew back and my feet were basically as high as the desk. Like really good way to break the ice, let me tell you. But curious if there's anything. It can be physical. It can be otherwise. But it stands out to you that. where you're like, that was bad. <laughs> Yours is too good. I can't top your story. But obviously, we've done some silly things. Uh, my One of my favorite stories, a, a, a great QED, a friend of yours, a friend of mine, um, I sent her to Dallas to do a, a sales meeting and a little bit of technician work with a royalty company. And she um, flew out a hobby that morning uh, and checked her bag. Nice. I, what I didn't tell you was that she, it was an early flight. So she decided to fly up in her pajamas. She gets, okay. to, yeah, she gets <laughs> to love field. And of course they've lost her bag. She's in pajamas. She's got to be at our client's office at nine. I said, go to target. Buy whatever you need. Make up new clothes. Go to Target. I'm not kidding. She calls me. She's like, I'm at Marshall's and it doesn't open until 11. I was like, that's why I told you to go to Target. She walked into the meeting in those pajamas. But you she know did. what? She got it done. She got it done. They loved her. It was a, you know, it was a wonderful presentation. And I'm sure her pajamas were very classy. But it, it, <laughs> it broke the ice. It broke the ice. But that is for any of our youngsters listening. I, I think yeah. that that is important. There are comfortable travel clothes. I sort of almost call it my uniform that I travel in. It's like really comfortable slacks or jeans and then like a golf shirt. Like no one's really going to object to that. It may be sort of on the edge for some companies, but it's like, you know, if you forget your stuff and that's what you wear, you know, it's not the end of the world. The pajamas thing though, I will remember that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We've had, uh, I mean, a lot of, I only had about an hour's worth of professionalism training when I started QED. So 13 and a half years ago, that was one module, you know, one lunch and learn. This is how to be a professional. Now we have over 40 hours worth of content that people go through for professional skills and it's mostly mistakes. So over the years, clients have called in to complain, maybe not about a QED technician, maybe about somebody that works for them. And we've just taken note. We've just taken note of every complaint we've ever heard. And we, we've also made a ton of mistakes. We are humans. And as we made mistakes, we document them and we try and share them with the new QEDers so that they don't have to make the same mistakes. And a lot of those are really funny. A lot of those are really funny. Um, Denver is a problem for us with the Ubers. Oh, we had a with the Ubers. Somebody, yeah. So we sent, we sent, this might've happened two times. We sent someone to an interview at uh, Camino Resources. Ward Polson was one of my greatest supervisors I ever had the privilege to work oh, with. Oh, he's, he's amazing. He came on the podcast with me and Tim a couple of years ago. That guy's awesome. I mean, I love him to death. I he, he cared for me way more than he ever cared about the bottom line. And I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be, but thanks be to God that he did because that – um, he always took care of me and he always gave me great advice. And he is one of my great mentors. And he, when he was at Tudor Pickering Holt was my first ever paying client. So I, I owe a lot to Ward. That's just um, Ward, right? Like he's, there's just some guys who are, who are awesome and have no ego and, and you can just tell, you get that sense. He, he was introduced to me from somebody who had listened to him speak once and said, you need to have this guy on your podcast. Like this is the best speaker that I've ever listened to. And he was just so warm and easy to talk to him. Like what an awesome guy still responds to emails. Like any company that's associated with him is fortunate. Sorry. I'll let you get back. He's the real deal, right? Ward is the real deal. I, I absolutely. And his wife, Karen is just as amazing as he is. And their daughter, CJ is absolutely amazing as well. Um, I love their whole family. Tough name so, these days, Karen, but that's okay. She's oh, I didn't think about that. You know, all I when I think of Karen, all I think about is her gingerbread cookies. That woman 
made these gingerbread cookies. And I mean, 20 years later, I'm still thinking about them. Now I'm kind of, I'm kind of an eater, Jeremy. I know, I know where to find good food. And in Houston, there's it's a lot hard. of good places. But it's the story hard. was I sent somebody the interview with Ward's team um, and he gets in the Uber from the airport and he says, it is, uh, it is a smell in there. And I'm, it's, it's kind of a marijuana smell, right? And he says he yeah. walks out of the Uber and he's like, I know this suit smells like horrible. And I have to walk into this interview. And, um, and then it happened again. Uh, a different interview. And Jesse said, the driver did ask before, he said, do you mind if I get loud? And we didn't, Jesse didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant. And Jesse thought he meant he was going to like turn the music up. And he was like, yeah, yeah, get loud, get loud. And oh my goodness, no, he lit up. And Jesse Get loud is getting loud, apparently. It did. So we, you know, man, funny things have happened to us over the years. And we try and uh, try and run them down. The best Uber story I actually have is I pay for Ubers for all the QEDers anytime they're doing business development activities. I don't want anybody drinking and driving, even not even one. So please use a corporate Uber anytime you need to. I don't, please don't drink and drive um, is, is what I tell the QEDers. Well, I get a little report every morning of whoever used Uber last night and that's fine. But one time I got, you know, like a somebody, we didn't have any events and somebody took the Uber and I looked, it was like Washington Avenue to U of H campus. And I was like, Eddie T doesn't go to U of H. And so we, uh, I call, I was like, Hey man, what are you doing? He was like, Oh, I had to go get a smoothie. No, you didn't come on. Left his prints all over the crime scene. So I would say switch your, um, switch back to your personal Uber yeah. account. <laughs> boss will tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, literally just did. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Um, and, and good for you for doing that. I mean, that's, I, I, definitely support that mission. And it's crazy. I think drunk driving is kind of one of those things where um, you take it almost for granted because people get popped for it and, and a lot of people just do it. But fundamentally, it's like really fucking dangerous. It's really not something that's okay. Well, and the punishments fit the crime. I mean, we're, we were we were in that generation where people still did it all the time and acted like it was oh. a normal thing. And then we, our generation, saw the consequences of that. I saw you know, my mom's best friend's husband go to jail. And it wasn't that he was overly drunk and it wasn't, it was that he got in a little, he got in an accident, that person died and there he goes into jail. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible. I, I I remember that too. And I think it was, I mean, especially growing up in the country, there Mm -hmm. was like one taxi and it was like a van that was like privately owned. So I would, I used to walk to the softball field uh, to watch like the beer drinking softball games. It was close to my house. And I would always think about it. These guys would get loud, like verbally oh, sure. loud and probably get loud the other way too. But, <laughs> um, but there would just be heavy drinking and then people would just peel out of there with their trucks. Oof. And I didn't think too much of it at the time, but it's sort of like every single one of those guys was probably over the legal limit. And, and that was just how it was in 1988. Like that's what happened. And then you start to think a little bit more. And I think just in general, this next generation doesn't drink as much. Um, I'm not totally sure why it's just sort of the sense that I've gained. Um, it just seems like maybe less dependent on alcohol. It could be because they're more dependent on technology. Um, but in general, like my generation, like we drank pretty heavily Mm -hmm. and this younger generation, not as much. I certainly think they drive less. I've had loads of QEDs the last couple of years that don't have driver's licenses, don't drive. I did. They don't drive at all. Yeah, don't drive at all. I, you know, you expect that in a city like London or New York, but Houston is certainly strange. Um, You know, I've had people take the bus back and forth to my office. So I had to say I was a bit shocked about that. But um, lots of people do the park and ride, but I'm talking, you know, city buses. Uh, and that's okay. That's, you know, that's definitely, um, Ubers people do. I don't know, man. My son turned 16 this month. He doesn't want to get his driver's license either. I think, I think they're going to be less, I don't know. They, they have everything they need at home. Why they need to drive. So then you don't have to drive them all over the place. But anyways, that's a, that's a different story. Um, two more questions and I'm gonna let you go. 
Um, and you kind of already touched on this one, but one thing I like to ask my guests is like, what, what advice would you either give to your younger self or that you do like to impart on the younger people that you do come in touch with a lot? Like what, what would you suggest to a younger version of Courtney Stevens Ooh. or to somebody that just comes into the program it can be work. It can be personal. It can be financial. You name it. What what do you think is something that's important for you to impart that you could have imparted on yourself or to somebody else? Well, I mean, to my to me, to my younger self, I would say you're going to make mistakes and it's going to be okay. Um, I think I would have told my younger self, somebody doesn't deserve an audience with you just because they ask for it. Mm. I would I would tell myself to be more discerning in how I spent my time. Say no more. Say no more. Absolutely. I got an email this morning. I feel like I have to now pull this up. Hang on. Um, that it said something like, it, it, it was sort of all about like creating space for yourself. And here we go. I want to find this. This is somebody who I went to college with who's a total badass. And I want to read this verbatim. Her, her email that she sent to everyone is called Giving You Time and Boundaries. And she said, no is a complete sentence. I love it, man. I also I do love too. I also love that you're such an advocate and such a cheerleader for other successful people. I mean, thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I like to see people succeed. I always have, um, just fundamental to who I am. Um, I feel like you're competitive like me because we're both competitive. And at the same time, you lift people up, you give people credit where credit is due and you bring people along with you on the ride. I appreciate Thanks. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> this isn't entirely appropriate, but one of my friends um, said to me, uh, like at some point, maybe it's in your early thirties, you, you start to realize like somebody's going to have, there's always going to be somebody that has more money and a longer unit. I'm, I picked up what you were putting down. There. <laughs> so, and you know what? Sometimes it could be the same person that has both of those. So, you know what? Like, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be like mad because you don't have that? Or are you just going to do what you can for yourself? And, and it's sort of like how I like to adopt things is, okay, cool. Like that guy's got more money. Good for him. There's probably something to be learned for that. I'll, I can't control any of that, but what I can control is my attitude, and my execution. So I'll focus on that. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm competing against myself every day. I think my bet. Yeah. That's the best competition to run is the one to be a better me for sure. You got it. Where can people find you and find your company uh, before we sign off? Absolutely. So our website is qedea.com, QED Energy Associates. Feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm on the old LinkedIn all the time, our new recruiter uh, and hopefully future sales professional, Sarah Carpenter, uh -huh. be happy to take any questions you might have. Uh, if anybody knew, if you got that directionless brother-in-law, uh, cousin or friend, send them my way. I'd love to give them a shot. I'm not saying it's always going to work out because like I said, 50% truncate uh, from our training program, but for the 50% that make it, wow, um, they have fabulous lives and I'm glad to get to be a part of them. You could be the next person with a $917,000 bonus check <laughs> listening to this podcast. That's but right. seriously, again, that was QEDEA.com. QEDEA.com and Courtney Stevens on LinkedIn. Um, you're a good one, Courtney. Keep grinding, keep doing what you do, and keep raising these young folks right in our industry. Uh, happy birthday, man. Thanks for having me.